You can't get to heaven on roller skates. You roll right by those pearly gates. You can't get to heaven in a limousine. The Lord don't sell no gasoline. You can't get to heaven in a rocking chair. A rocking chair won't get you there. You can't get to heaven on a pogo stick. Because all that jumping is going to make you sick. You can't get to heaven in a washing machine. Because God don't care if your clothes are clean. If you get there before I do, just dig a hole and pull me through. This children's song has a number of iterations. And the truth is, we find it entertaining. But it leaves something to be, be desired, both practically and theologically. The children want to, and we should want to get to heaven. But the song, even though it provides multiple paths or ways we cannot get to heaven, fails to tell us how we can get there. This morning, we answer that critical question as we study John chapter 14, verse 6, which I invite you to turn to now. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the verse on page 901. This verse paints the clear picture of how it is we can get to heaven. We'll begin by reading chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, to place some context around the verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples' hearts were troubled because as chapter 13 concludes, Jesus tells them that one of them was going to betray him, which is problematic enough. But even more troubling for the disciples would have been the fact that Jesus, the one they had sacrificed everything for and on whom they had placed all of their trust and hopes, was going away and they would not be able to follow him. Jesus knows that the disciples' hearts are troubled by what they have just learned. So he now provides words of comfort to them. He is going away, but he will come back. When he returns, it will be for the purpose of taking the disciples to a place he has prepared for them. There is comfort for the disciples and comfort for the Christian in the way Jesus responds. The response from Jesus to Thomas is in stark contrast to how Jesus had responded to the religious leaders earlier in chapter 8 when they had asked a similar question. Jesus tells the Pharisees in chapter 8 that he is the light of the world and that he is going to a place where they will not be able to follow him, nor do they know the place that he is going because they do not know the Father. Listen as I read verses 21 to 24 of John chapter 8. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In this passage, Jesus condemns the Pharisees for their ignorance, 
of his destination. But even then, he showed them mercy by providing the answer to how to be with Jesus. They must believe that I am. With the disciples, the one he, ones he had chosen, Jesus answered more directly their inquiry about where Jesus was going and how to get there. The response of Jesus provides comfort to the Christian as well. We are not left in the dark on how it is we get to heaven. When Jesus tells the disciples he is the way, Thomas is not certain his GPS is working correctly. So he does something many wives wish their husbands would do when they are lost, ask for directions. Thomas asks, how can we know the way? This brings us to Jesus' response in verse 6. Let me read it again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is going to the Father who is in heaven, and he tells the disciples and us how we can get there. It is only through him. Jesus provides the only access to the Father. We'll study this verse in three headings, and I bet you can guess them. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. First, Jesus is the way. In this passage, we see Jesus identify himself as the highway spoken of in Isaiah chapter 35. Listen now to these words from Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 8. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground spring of water, springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. We see in this passage words of comfort to those who trust in God. Those who have an anxious heart should not fear, understanding that God is coming to save his people. The disciples would have been familiar with this, this Isaiah's prophecy and have witnessed Jesus fulfill many of the miracles spoken of in this passage. We see one example of this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. This passage, passage speaks of more than just physical blindness. It is spiritual blindness and the inability to hear God's call that plagues the heart. Jesus points to himself as the answer to these spiritual problems. He is the highway to holiness described in verse 8 of Isaiah 35. He is the way of life and the way of salvation. In Isaiah's time, the people would have seen God as providing the highway out of the wilderness. This text allows us to see Jesus as the new exodus for God's people to return to the Holy Land. Because the unclean were unable to pass through on the highway of holiness, Jesus identifies himself 
as the one who will make the disciples clean. Jesus also uses the, his response to Thomas to identify himself as the sole and adequate revealer of God. Jesus alone knows God fully. Indeed, in John chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus identifies himself as the only one who has seen the Father. We need to be careful not to get confused about what Jesus is saying here. He identifies himself as the way of righteousness and the only access to the Father. He is not merely the way as a prophet to be listened to or as an example to be followed, but he is the way of salvation. We can see through the life of Christ how he directs the way to the Father. We see Jesus as the way by his doctrine. Look with me at John chapter 6. In this chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000, walks in the water, and then describes himself as the bread of life. Take a look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life who has come down from heaven. This causes the Jews to grumble against him. Jesus responds to the grumbling, starting in verse 43, telling them, Do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then later in the passage, Jesus teaches them that whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews and many of those who have been following Jesus found this teaching to be hard. Now look with me at verses 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter and the other disciples had no desire to leave Jesus. And Peter tells us why in his response to the question from Jesus. The disciples do not desire to leave because no one can teach the doctrine of salvation better than Jesus. And no one can provide eternal life except for Jesus. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes had corrupt doctrines and their teachings could not lead to eternal life. But the doctrines of Jesus point to the way of salvation. Jesus is also the way by his example. Look at 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is the gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who ju judges justly. He himself bore our sins 
in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live the righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer in your souls. In this passage, we learn that we have been called to do well and to respond patiently in suffering. This is the example that Jesus set for us and an example that we have failed in achieving. We do not suffer patiently. The seed is too often found within our mouths and we are reviled or criticized. We, often, we too often respond in kind. The way we have lived is not the way of holiness, but Jesus throughout his life displayed the way of holiness. Everything that Jesus was called to do, he completed. He submitted his will entirely to the will of God, his Father. And verse 24 of this passage tells us how he is the way and our way to righteousness. He himself bore our sins. Jesus has set the example, and try as we may, we are incapable of falling without stumbling. Thus, we cannot argue that simply following the example of Jesus is sufficient for us to get to heaven. No, we need the life of Jesus to provide the way. This brings us to what I really want us to see in this section. We need to see Jesus as the one who spans the distance between God and the sinner. To see this, we have to go back to the beginning. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man in his own image. We know that the first man was Adam. It is clear, reading Genesis, that in the beginning, Adam knew God and enjoyed a relationship with him. But when Adam sinned, he became alienated from God and no longer enjoyed perfect communion with him. Since then, all men have been separated from God as inheritors of Adam's sin. Jesus is the means or the way in which man can be reconciled to God and have communion restored. Let us not deceive ourselves and think that there is any means other than Jesus. To think that we can work our way to heaven, whether our good works or good deeds somehow contribute to our salvation, is foolish. As Proverbs 14.12 reads, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is a way to death. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you might be surprised that I've lumped you in with Adam. You might even say, that guy just threw me under the bus. Friends, the truth is, you would rather be thrown under the bus than to face the ultimate consequences of your sin. The Bible says that you're a sinner. And I think all of us know that we are. I'm not excluding myself from this category. I can be prideful, arrogant, and judgmental. Just ask the people who work with me. The reason Adam had to be removed from the garden is because a holy God cannot be associated with sin. Part of Adam's sin was that he wanted to be his own God. He did not totally trust in God and God's wisdom. Adam learned that God's word is true. Sin leads to death and eternal punishment. This is the way your sin is leading you. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on a path to destruction. Jesus offers you a path to eternal life. Unlike Adam, unlike you and me, Jesus never sinned and always trusted in God. But more than that, Jesus is the way through his sacrifice. The punishment that you and I deserve and have earned because of our sin was placed on Jesus. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 7. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen them stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This Jesus I am talking about is the same person Isaiah prophesies about. Though he was without sin, he was crucified, nailed to a cross, died, and buried. That's good news for you and me, because we could never pay the price for our own sins. And the news gets better. Three days after he was crucified, Jesus got up from the dead, demonstrating that sin and death had been defeated, and that God had accepted his sacrifice for the sins of his people. And now those who trust in Jesus have a pathway to God. He is our access to heaven. If you want to know more about this, about how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ, please come and find me at the conclusion of the service, or talk to a friend or family member you came with. There's nothing more important for you to do this morning than to find the one and only road that leads to heaven. How is your GPS working? Have you lost your directions? Are you like a Buddhist who believes that your mistakes have caused you to miss the own ramp to heaven and you'll have to come back as some other animal and try again? Are you one who believes that you can work your way to heaven through good works? Friends, the road map to heaven is in your hands or on the pew beside you. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way. Jesus has shown us the way by his doctrine, by his example, and by his sacrifice. Unlike the GPS device you have in your car or on your smartphone, the way never recalculates or changes directions. I implore you to look to Jesus for all the directions you need in this life. There is no other way to salvation. We're all headed in the same ultimate crossroads for the resurrection is the resurrection of all the dead. Some will be ushered into God's kingdom, the others to the lake of fire and eternal punishment and separation from God. Jesus says that he is the only way to God's kingdom and that also that this way is the narrow way. I implore you, friend, plead with God to graciously lead you to a saving faith in Jesus of Nazareth as a way to righteousness and a right relationship with God. Jesus says in this verse, to the Buddhist, no access. To the Hindu, no access. To the Muslim, no access. To the deist, no access. To the pantheist, no access. To the New Agers, no access. And to the agnostics and atheists, no access. The claims of Jesus are exclusive. He, is alone, he alone is the way. In all other religions, they seek to provide a pathway for man to earn his way to heaven. In other words, how does a person work his way to God? Only Christianity provides that God came down from heaven to man to provide a way for man to be reconciled to God. Further, to critique this teaching as narrow-minded, I would just make the point that everyone holds to some absolute truth on the way of salvation and that his position is the right one. Let me explain. If you believe there are many pathways to God, then you have taken that to be the absolute position. It is no less absolute than the teaching of the scripture that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. Even those who assert there is no God 
have taken an absolute position. The issue is not whether we have an absolute position, but whether our position is the correct one. Friends, if you're taking any position on this subject other than the truth of Scripture, I urge you to think about the basis of your position. Is it because you believe it to be true from your personal experience, from your desire for it to be so, because the media or culture tells you that it is so, because you want to be inclusive and tolerant? When you stand at the ultimate crossroads, will these reasons seem as robust to you as you claim right now? Eternity is at stake. I urge you to examine the claims and proofs of the historical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and compare them to the basis for your position. When I read the passage in Isaiah 35 earlier, I stopped at verse 8. Listen now to verses 9 and 10 from Isaiah 35. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Do you see how these words point to Jesus? Verse 9 uses the term redeemed, and verse 10 uses the term ransom. Jesus is our Redeemer, and He paid for us, those who call themselves Christians, with a ransom. The ransom for sin was His death on the cross. No other price would do. Back to my earlier point, has your source of salvation died for you? Again, Jesus is the only Savior who has died for His people so they may have eternal life with Him. Not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, not Confucius, no one. Our next two points are complementary of the first, as the truth and the life merely clarify the way. According to Jewish tradition, God's ways were the truth and the life. The Old Testament points to Jesus as the source of truth. Numbers 23 verse, 9 says, verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, and will he, will he not fulfill it? He is where truth originates, and he communicates truth for the salvation of men. So let's explore truth more closely. When Jesus tells the disciples here that he is the full, what Jesus tells the disciples here is that he is the full and final revelation of God. The devil, on the other hand, is the father of lies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, that in Jesus is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In essence, there is no wisdom or knowledge outside of Jesus. One theologian said this of the truth found in John chapter 14, verse 6. The emphasis in this great statement is not just truth as opposed to a lie, reality as opposed to mere illusion, but his faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness, sureness. Jesus is the God of truth. Absolute truth is characteristic of God, and it is only as we know God that we know the truth. It includes the complete reliability and complete integrity of God. He will certainly act with the highest conceivable integrity and righteousness. In addition to being the truth that guides and shapes our lives, Jesus is the true way to God. These statements become clear throughout the book of John. For instance, 
John writes in chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory, is only, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in me, my words, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John also details the conversation Jesus had with Pilate just before his death on the cross. We know that Jesus is the truth because he cannot lie. And we've already established that he is without sin. In John 14, 6, Jesus affirms that he is the truth incarnate. That is, he is God embodied in the flesh. This is what he does in his conversation with Pilate right before his sentence to death. Look with me at the 18th chapter of John and listen to Pilate's conversation with Jesus found in verses 33 to 38. So the 18th chapter of John, verses 33 to 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters and again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to, his, said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After this, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate concluded that he found no guilt in Jesus, that Jesus had not lied. Some people say Pilate's problem was that he did not listen to Jesus, but it appears that out of fear, Pilate sought to protect himself instead of Jesus. We could discuss all the theories that caused Pilate to send Jesus to the cross at the door afterwards. Feel free to find me there. But for now, just know that in order for God's plan to unfold, the cross was the only way to salvation for Christians. This is what we said earlier, and the question for us to answer this morning, for you and me, is whether we believe Jesus. Do we understand him as the truth? Someone who can take us by the hand and guide us to heaven. I pray and hope that you believe in Jesus in this way. Christian, believe in the truth. Trust in the promises of Jesus. I know it is sometimes hard to do. The world we live in is often unkind, but Jesus is triumphant over the world. When it looks like you're losing, the job you're hoping for does not come through, the marriage relationship you desire is not coming to fruition, or your health is failing. Do not be discouraged, but look to the cross and the way of heaven. To the disciples, it did not look like truth when Jesus was taken away, beaten, led to a cross, crucified, and buried. He did not appear to be winning. Three days later, however, Jesus rose from the grave and was declared victorious by his Father in heaven, who placed all power under his authority. 
we can rest in knowing that the words of Jesus, the words Jesus spoke were true, and of comfort in knowing that our path to heaven has been paved, and that we have access through Christ. I want to briefly look at four ways that Jesus clarifies himself as the truth in this statement. First, he is the divine truth. Jesus does not say that he is one form of truth, but I am the truth, the absolute truth, the truth, truth absolutely. Jesus declares himself in this sentence to be God. This is what the Jews would have understood him to say. The Jews identified God as the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable truth. In Psalm 35, David declares that God is a faithful God in whom we can trust as the true Redeemer. Second, he is the revealed truth. We have already seen in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1 verse 17 reads, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is John telling us that all the law is pointing to Christ as the substance, that God is revealing his truth through Jesus. He has revealed his Son as the Savior. He has revealed his Son as the Savior. Third, he is the saving truth. We already established, as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we need to be clear that apart from, righteous, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we have no righteousness. We like to think that our good works are of some value. But Isaiah 64 verse 6 says that all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Your most noble moments, all of your charity works, they amount to filthy rags. And that's the generous translation. In the Hebrew, it says, all of your good works, all of your righteousness, is like a blood-soaked minstrel rag. This is why Jesus is the saving truth. His righteousness, which is what God requires, is imputed to us, those who trust in Christ through faith. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is not only saving truth, but this is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John writes, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Fourth, Jesus is the exclusive truth and the universal truth. Each declaration in verse 6 that we are studying this morning, in each version, Jesus claims exclusivity. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. As the universal truth, he offers salvation to all who will come to him in faith. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 reads, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Make no mistake, even though Christ is the universal truth, there is no universal salvation. Salvation is limited to those who place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Now let's turn to consider our final point. Jesus is the life. As we've discussed already, the life of Jesus shows us the appropriate way or behavior or how we should live. But more than that, Jesus is the very source that brings life. For instance, John writes in chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, the her here is Mary just before Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Not only is Jesus the source that brings life, he is the very source of our ability to walk in, the, walk in God's way. Listen to these words from John chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, he can do nothing. The grace, strength, and nourishment for life come through Christ. We can do nothing good, and certainly nothing spiritually good, apart from him. One theologian wrote, In every man there is a thirst for life. Everything that clogs, impedes, or retards life, we hate. Sickness, imprisonment, death, whatever diminishes, enfeebles, limits, or destroys life, we abhor. Happiness means abundant life, great vitality, finding vent for itself in healthy ways. Our happiness depends on, upon these two conditions, perfect energy and infinite scope. Does this describe you? Is your life centered on the things of this world? Or is it centered around Jesus Christ, the source of eternal life? In Jesus we receive a new spirit and a motive to live for righteousness, which is continuously renewed. The more we rely on Christ, the more life we have. Indeed, there is no other source for life. Listen to these words from 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think that you have life. You're in good health. You have a nice job, good friends, and a nice place to live. Friends, that's Joel Osteen's version of life. The life that Jesus talks about here is eternal life. The sin we talked about earlier that we're all guilty of leads to death. The death is not simply laying down in a grave, but a death of eternal punishment in hell. The only way to escape this death is through the Son. The Son provides access to eternal salvation, and there is room enough for you. Listen again to verses 2 to 3 of John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. These verses were not for the disciples only, but for all of those who repent of their sins and trust in the Son. 
You can have access to heaven. You can have life that matters. We should conclude. And I want to do so where Jesus does in verse 6. After telling the disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is a claim of exclusivity, as we said earlier. This is something we need to be clear on. If Jesus is not the only way, then he is not any way. If there are many ways to God, Jesus does not represent one. In this passage, Jesus declares there is one way and identifies himself as that way. To say there are multiple ways is to call Jesus a liar and there is no middle ground. You cannot believe that Jesus was an honest man and not believe the words he has spoken of through the scriptures. If we don't believe Jesus' claim of exclusivity, we don't believe any parts of the Bible. We cannot pick and choose the parts of the Bible we want to believe. This is an all or nothing proposition. Anything less, and we simply believe that Jesus existed. We don't believe in his atoning work on the cross. The salvation of man comes from no other source. Listen to Jesus' prayer to his father in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. In going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus asked the father if there was any other way to accomplish the salvation of man beyond his drinking the cup of wrath that would be poured out on him for our sins. The answer was clear. Jesus went to the cross. Friends, even the demons know the truth, that Jesus was the Son of God, but they did not submit to him or believe in his atoning work on their behalf. We need to be sincere in our beliefs. To hold any other view than what Jesus tells us in his word is to re reject Jesus and the way of salvation. Elizabeth and I, as part of our bedtime routine, have been reading Little Pilgrim's Progress, a condensed version of John Bunyan's classic. I commend this book to parents and children. We have not reached the end, so I cannot spoil it for you or her. The main character of the book is a little boy whose name is Christian. He's on his way to the celestial city or heaven and meets a number of characters on his journey. In chapter 13, Christian meets formless and hypocrisy. Little Christian has been traveling the narrow path or the way of the king. Formless and hypocrisy have been trying to obtain access to the celestial city through shortcuts. Christian tries to explain to them that there is one way to heaven or one path to the celestial city, but they make fun of him. When they come to the foot of a hill called Difficulty, Christian stays the course. Even though the road is rugged and tough, formless and hypocrisy notice two smooth paths that veer to the right and decide to take those, one to the right and one to the left, and decide to take those instead of following Christian. The chapter concludes in this way. Now that they had entered by the wicked gate, that's wicked, W-I-C-K-E-T, not wicked, they would have known that the straight road was the only safe one. Formless had entered the path of danger and very soon found himself in a great wood. He wandered about for many nights and days, but he could not find his way out, and so at last he died of hunger and cold. The path of destruction, which hypocrisy had chosen, was no better. It led into the midst of some dark mountains where the boy went up and down until his foot slipped and he fell, wounding himself upon the sharp rocks so that he too perished 
miserably. Friends, the way of salvation goes down one path, the straight and narrow path of Jesus. There is no other option. We cannot turn to the right or to the left and expect to find salvation. We find outside of the Christ, we find outside of Christ, no matter where we turn, what we find is destruction. This is what Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men of which we must be saved. Again, Jesus says to the Buddhists, no access. To the Hindu, no access. To the Muslim, no access. To the deist, no access. To the pantheist, no access. To the New Agers, no access. To the agnostics and atheists, no access. But the Christian, but to the Christian, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus tells us in John 10.10 why he came. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, trust in the way. Trust in the truth. Trust in the life. Trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is clear that you are the only source to salvation. I pray for those who are here that might not trust in you. Touch their hearts in a way that causes them to repent of their sins and look to Jesus. For the Christian, help us to be comforted through the sacrifice of your Son. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, this Jesus we have been thinking about this morning is the focus of our final hymn. We can trust in him as our solid rock. Let's sing the solid rock found on page 406 of your hymnal. Please stand as we sing. Number 406, the solid rock. Thanks.